Welcome to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, owner of Davis Fitness Method here in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is your resource for reliable fitness information. This information has been sourced from studies, experts, and real-world application from training with my clients and my own body. We're here to help you enhance your life by giving you practical takeaways that you can use today so that your energy, mood, and mindset begin to change right away. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into this episode. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me today on today's episode. We have James Thayer. He's a prescript educator. He's an assistant director at Washburn University. He's an ACE master trainer and the owner of Byproduct Performance. I'm excited to have him on. I consider him the stability guy. He's here to give us some insights on how we can, you know, improve our stability, why it might be useful, uh, and and what it kind of looks like. So, you know, take some notes and uh, enjoy the ride. <laughs> Dude, uh, thanks so much for, you know, taking the time to chat with me today. Um, I, might, I, I, had a, I had a quick question. Yeah. Um, do people often think of you as like the stability guy? Um, I think more so like if I ever get something stability, it's hip airplanes. Uh, but yeah. I kind of took that over from uh, shallow and Killian at one point. Um, now I'm not sure what people think of me. So, <laughs> right. I think with the, uh, the emerging ideas and the SS pendulum, um, and just some of the things that were presented there, it kind of felt like a grab back at like a sort of like a stability uh, crown, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I hadn't thought of it like that, but um, I mean, if, if that's the cap I have to wear, like I'm okay with it. I think um, kind of the big point to the emerging ideas, not only, <clears throat> not only to kind of highlight um, that exercise, but also just, understanding and i think this is one of like originally whenever i started following prescript that uh linchpin between mobility and strength is stability and understanding the factor that it plays in movement is very very important because that's force distribution if we're unstable or we can't make more of a linear path for force to be produced from um, from the ground throughout whatever the movement is to be able to express that force, just simply we lose force production. And so with that, I think I've kind of, I keep that up front in consideration whenever I'm looking at exercise selection and movement, that stability plays a huge factor in, in is pretty crucial into how we move proficient, proficiently, because again, if if we lack stability, that's just loss of our ability to express force. Right. So um, my, my most basic understanding of stability is our ability to resist force. Um, this also then allows for us to put, put force in, in onto the appropriate tissue so that we can then create force. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it allows us to maintain a position that's going to be most advantageous to produce force or execute a movement. But also whenever we're looking at like a, a simple one um, I like to point to is you think about um, like line drills in most athletic sports, especially youth um, sports where you have to go touch 
the line or passed with your foot, redirect and go back to the other one, running suicides. Somebody that doesn't have the ability and this kind of gets into acceleration, deceleration too, but again, it's stability is at the core of this. Somebody that doesn't have the ability to stabilize through that deceleration, that's where now they have to either take those loops because they have to try to continue or perpetuate the motion or the force that they've been created because it doesn't have the ability to withstand that, to stop, redirect, and go. And so it's either... It's either looking at it like that of somebody that now has to take a longer path because they're not able to resist the force that they were able to produce or the inability to produce that force now puts us into not ideal patterns such as like in that same example, rolling your ankle because you can't stabilize enough to be able to control that force that's being distributed at the ground and at the ankle. Yeah, that makes sense. So when, when, so when we see um, people talking about stability on the internet, it looks a lot different than just doing like a single leg exercise, right? It's like somebody standing on a BOSU ball or they jumped from something onto a BOSU ball. Maybe we're seeing less of this now, um, but I would say like a lot of it's more, um, lots more like bands and kettlebells hanging from things. Um, what 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 is it that we're actually trying to, teach um is it is it this idea of like this just like un, like this undulating load um or is it literally just trying to teach our bodies to react to a certain stimulus what is stability aside from like just resisting force yeah so i think you bring up a good point that we can kind of lead into this is i think the view of what stability can be is changing and in that, I think it's simplifying, um, which is good because through that, it, it doesn't need to be a gimmick in understanding just that resiliency, the rigidity, the ability to withstand forces act up, acting upon the body. And so I think that's where we're starting to see a step away from unstable surfaces to try to create instability and just understanding if we can perform and execute on one leg um, or unstable positions, that's how we can create stability and security within those positions to be able to maintain it. That being said, there might be times and places where unstable surfaces can be beneficial. Um, could look at a rehab setting where somebody has um, had surgery and uh, connective tissue has been cut. And so through that unstable surface in the rehabilitation process, they're just trying to basically trying to reestablish proprioception and signaling to better understand, to get the body to react. Uh, that's kind of where I would differentiate like balance, although balance can go a little bit more equilibrium um, into it as well. But looking at there's a time and place for it. And that time and place might be in rehabilitation. That time and place might be if you're practicing Ninja Warrior, like things like that, where, where it can be very beneficial, but in, in the gym, in most life settings, instability doesn't come through the unstable surface. It comes through the lack of ability to hold and maintain certain positions. And 
And so looking at that, I think that's helping, helping better understand the application of why this is important, but also um, how to prioritize it as being important because um, it, it is looking at proprioception and the ability to send a relay signal. And it's quite a bit faster signal that gets sent because your body's doing it autonomously. It's not something that you really think about to stabilize. Like if you think about, if you think about um, when you're going down the stairs and you miss a step, you, you realize you missed a step, but you're already falling and your body's already trying to put itself in position to catch itself. And we can look at the ability to stabilize and kind of that reactive nature is where if uh, we drag our foot and we trip a little bit when walking, that's the difference between staying up and falling. And when we prioritize that in our training, not only does it allow us to hold better positions and be more proficient how we produce force, but also if we look at the application um, into different populations, like an elder population, the I forget the percent now. I think it's maybe 70% um, after a certain age in elder population that if you break your hip, the chances of you dying within that next year goes up by 70%. So if we look at situations like that, a lot of times it comes from a fall. It comes from the inability to to catch yourself, the inability to maintain that rigidity to stay upright. And leads to like that, a greater incidence and a greater injury to occur. So if we can look at it through like the benefit of prioritizing this and being mindful of um, integrating stability into an aspect of exercise, um, that it holds transferable benefit through a multitude of mediums, not just life, but in athletics, in, um, in different aging populations in youth sports, one of the biggest things with, uh, like junior hires is just teaching them how to move through time and space in their own bodies. Cause they're everywhere with it. Um, and I think think something with that is it's the integration into exercise, not that it has to be prioritized in isolation. I think sometimes that's where we get more of the gimmick base of standing on a BOSU ball or like climbing up into a tree and like standing on a single leg or something like that. Whereas really all we need is the minimum effective dose to do the task at hand, whatever we're preparing for. And if that's in the gym, it could just be as simple as, Hey, can you do a single leg RDL without falling over or um, do you have the ability to go into deep hip flexion and come out into hip extension on one leg? Because that's going to be very important if we're about to go squat. Right. So um, there's a few words that you used in there um, that I, I want to kind of like clarify for the audience. So yeah, just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Um, so when you say proprioception, this is basically how you're perceiving yourself within the space. How I would say how your brain relays a signal of how your body is working through a space. Um, because it, because most of the time in some of that proprio proprio reception, it is going to be autonomous and our body is working in positions to find stability without us consciously thinking about it. Like we, if we think about 
if we go into like a sprinter pose where we're standing on one leg, we have the other knee bent high, almost like we're marching. If you look at most people's ankles, it's going back and forth, trying to find a stable position. That's not something we necessarily consciously think about. The conscious comes after the fact where now we can reassure the position, like um, looking at a brace cue is going to help with position and alignment. So it's, I would say it's kind of both. It's the autonomous signal that's getting sent um, from uh, from motor units to relay to the brain and the brain sending signal back. And then secondary, it's a conscious understanding of where we are to try to adjust and adapt to that position. Cool. And then when you say unstable positions, uh, what do you mean by unstable positions? Yeah, great question. Um, so unstable positions could be just about anything. <clears throat> and it's going to be is going to be based on how well that person moves. And, and why I say that is if we look at exercise through progression and regression in prescript, one of the, um, how we kind of look at stability is, uh, through two tenets, it's, um, deviating a center of mass. So that's either creating a longer level lever or a shorter lever, um, or expanding or reducing the base of support. So more contact points or less contact points. And we can use that as a means to progress and regress exercise in understanding those two tenets. So whenever we look at unstable um, positions, it's going to be based on the individual of what that means to them. So for one person, a a bird dog might be very, very stable and like they can execute it no problem. And it might not be even sending a stimulus um, enough for the preparation of the exercise that we need to do. Like it might need to go up to a unilateral row or something that is a bit more load bearing to get that anti-rotation um, cue that we're wanting. Whereas for a different person, the bird dog might be very, very unstable because we only have our hand in a knee in the traditional model to be able to stabilize where that person, if they're unstable, we might have to put another knee down or might have to put another hand down to add a base of support. Or it might be somebody that needs to be regressed that they go into a dead bug laying on their back where now they've expanded the base of support. So their whole back is on the ground making it more stable for them. So unstable is just looking at those two tenets of center of mass and basis support and the manipulation of it based on the individual's needs. Gotcha. And so when you're looking to um, improve your ability in those um, positions and scale them over time, is there one over the other, like whether you're deviating the center of mass or reducing the base of support, which one you would attack first? Um, it depends on where we're going with it. So, uh, an important thing to think about, and I think sometimes this gets lost if we're putting it in contact, because right now we're kind of talking about like maybe, maybe leaning more towards a warm up. but if we're looking at the workout itself, we need to start there and have that developed. And from the workout, we reverse engineer into the warm up because the warm up's just preparing us for the workout. Like we want to spend 
a majority of our energy of our time in the workout, not warming up for it. And so understanding that, understanding what the, like where we need to progress and create stability in the workout, I think that is going to, um, that applied to the warm up. That's kind of how we decide where it needs to be. Um, if I'm going to go general on stability, but like regardless of it's, if it's in the workout or warm up, I'd say it, it would be, um, not even center of mass or basis support, but it would be creating more time spent and going through the positions because, because a lot of times whenever we see people try to incorporate stability in something that the movement now becomes very, very quick because the person is unstable. So they don't want to spend a lot of time there. They want to move in and out of that position where they're unstable very, very quickly because it's not very supported. And so through that, whatever the means is of center of mass or basis support, what gets us to the ability to create time in and out of positions, I think that's what I would prioritize when we're looking at like how to, how to integrate stability is just creating that time and whatever, whatever means it is of those two tenets, or maybe even a combination of those two tenets, depending on the individual, what creates us more time in positions because the positions they're not stable in is the positions they're trying to move through quickly. And more often than not the positions that they need to be in longer and more frequent. Gotcha. So would this like, would this run almost not necessarily in opposition to, but kind of like scaling, like towards like an undulating force dynamic? Um, so, so depending on uh, kind of going off of like the SS pendulum, cause that's an easy yeah. exercise to point to, but there's, there's some others we can always sort through. So with it, it's, it's meant to challenge like at, First, first, um, maybe very briefly, like what exactly would, would be an undulating force dynamic? Yeah. So an undulating force dynamic would be a weight that isn't constant. Um, so we can look at, um, like one that I use is the SS pendulum. It's on a reverse hyper. And basically you, um, you're standing split stance off to the side of the reverse hyper and have a band attached to it. And through that swinging motion of it, that creates undulation in the force applied. So if we're thinking about traditional exercise, like a, a squat or a bench, the weight and load is constant. So through undulating force, it's looking at creating a force that through the position, it's not constant tension. And so through that, through that, it challenges not only proprioception of being able to being able to brace through that change in that mechanism, but through a more progressed model that I'll use is I look at how to sequence up the movement of the weight going back and sinking and bracing into position. Because on the SS pendulum, um, as the weight goes back, that's where the most tension is applied to the band and the band is at its longest point. So it's an anti-rotation movement that it's trying to pull you back to the direction of the weight and you're trying to oppose that. 
Whereas whenever the weight comes back closer to you, it's not going to have the same resistance profile. And so in that we have an ability, if we progress to the point where we can kind of sequence up our position. So typically I'll kind of do like a pulsing going with a high split stance to a low lunge based on the position of the load um, through that undulation. We can also look to, um, we can look to like a mace bell that all the weight is distributed in the head of it. If, if you're not familiar with a mace bell, it kind of looks like a sledgehammer, just instead of the hammer part, it's a ball, but all the weight of it is distributed in that end piece. It's not distributed through the handle because most of those are going to be hollow. And so as we look um, through the position of where that bell goes, it's, it's not a constant tension because one is working with gravity. One works against gravity. And most of the time, those aren't going to be heavy enough to oppose the force. It's more position-based. So if I have a 10 pound, uh, mace bell, the force I'm producing is going to be greater. So you can kind of let off the gas. You're not trying to hold a constant pressure, trying to bring it in like a 360 motion you have an initial force that you're letting it drop through and then you have to restabilize almost think like a, um, like a roller coaster, whenever it goes up to the hill into the peak of it, that roller coaster just lets it go. It's not continuing to be pulled along a track, but at the peak, it just drops off and it's allowing gravity. So in that we can also see a change in velocity that the speed is going to go a lot quicker off of that top peak to wherever now it's trying to like come back in, in a 360 motion, it starts losing that momentum. If that makes sense. Got you. And so kind of to bring it back to the original question we have, when we're looking to improve stability, it's like, okay, we know somebody who's not stable, isn't going to want to stay in those positions for long. We put them in an isometric. And then we have something like this, which isn't necessarily, it, it is a bit more dynamic, even though you might be staying in a static position, the loads are changing or the way that they're, the way that you're experiencing the force is changing. Yeah. Um, would these be, would that be another strategy to attacking a similar thing? Kind of like learning to reabsorb higher and lower amounts of force. It, it definitely could be, I think it's, it's kind of a conver conversation because those are very specific exercises that I mentioned, kind of a conversation around when and why this person needs that. Cause I think sometimes mm -hmm. people can look at, they can look at implements as creating more mobility or creating more stability. Whereas I looked implements as because I have this prerequisite mobility, stability, strength, this now becomes an option for me instead of vice mm -hmm. versa, where some people will try to like create and establish that through an implement. I think of it the opposite way of as we can do more, we have more options. So depending on what we're doing or what we're trying to stabilize the direction we're trying to go with that person one of those strategies could be beneficial, um, but I wouldn't necessarily apply it across the board. I'd look to, um, if we're looking at stability, like if we look at acceleration and deceleration, the ability to 
put force into the ground to propel ourselves forward and the ability to take a early stance to decelerate our gait cycle, our walking positions um, to kind of change speed and change direction. I think if we look at stability and the means of that, that applies to everyday life. And that's something that could be beneficial for everyone. Um, it's just, again, looking at when and how to apply it. Cause a lot of people, a lot of people kind of stay in a like more forward leaning position. Um, whether that is through like a kind of like proud chest, like big chested guys, or if we look at, um, people with, excessive interior pelvic tilt that's putting their body position kind of more forward leaning. A lot of people can benefit from, um, having a negative shin angle, teaching them to better absorb force through their step patterns. Um, and that'd be deceleration, but I'm not going to take everybody and say, okay, I need you to full out sprint and chop your feet. And this is how we're going to teach it. It might be looking at something very, very stabilized because we're trying to control as many variables when we're looking to progress somebody. So for somebody like that, maybe looking at like a front foot elevated that puts them in a position that advantages the position or uh, position that you're trying to replicate or have transferability. I shouldn't necessarily say replicate, but transferable positions and cues into the end result that you want. Um, so again, I think it could be a strategy. It's just looking at when this person might need it and where they might be. For example, the, like the SS pendulum, somebody that can't hold a split stance in an isometric, that's not going to be a great position for them. And if we're trying to, if we're trying to look to, um, anti-rotation bird dog might be more beneficial for certain people than an SS pendulum hold. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems scalable in that way, but like, um, in the sense where it's like, all right, we're moving. Um, when would you know you're ready for a position like that? Um, because like, let's say they could hold a split squat very well. Um, maybe they still struggle to a degree through anti-rotation and now you have this undulating force where they're like, okay, it's kind of like pulling them out of position. Is it, do you adjust load then, or is this just not the right time for them? Um, it could be both. Um, I think if we think in a, in a way of what's the minimum effective dose to get an adaptation, um, that helps us progress somebody. Um, so it doesn't always have to be one answer that it could be if let's say I throw like 10 pounds on, on that exercise and somebody's having a real hard time, um, stabilizing in that position, I could go down or I might've overshot because I want enough load that it becomes a challenge because if it's just body weight, I don't know that I necessarily need to I need to advance past a just split stance and being able to expand the isometric hold of them just being able to maintain and stabilize in that position. Um, or even looking at if, if we want like a smaller progression between just a split stance isometric hold and an SS pendulum, we can look to a split stance pal-off press 
and see if this is appropriate. Um, so finding out where we don't have to make these giant jumps um, and kind of have some in-between in our ability to select different exercises, that can be beneficial. Another one we can look at that, that with the SS pendulum, it is limited in you need a reverse hyper. Like the mechanism of that machine is really what allows for that dynamic undulation. If we don't have that, and our, our intent isn't doing this exercise. Our intent is my client needs more anti-rotation and need to stabilize through that. We could do a single arm row and just put them in a split stance position, have more of a forward lean torso angle, and they're just going through a unilateral row and not allowing their position or their trunk to rotate in that and to be able to brace and maintain. So again, looking at where that person is and what we can introduce that, that it could be right for some people. And if it's not, we have means to be able to adapt and be able to change to, to meet that client where they are. Um, and, and as it pertains to stability, how do you go about identifying when somebody is stable or stable enough to move to a next position um, or like continue to work on what they're working on? Yeah, that's um, it's an excellent question. And I think it comes through, through what we're trying to do in those positions, because um, kind of back to the like warm up and workout, the warm up, we continue, we continue to assess throughout on both the warm-up and workout, but we're seeing, okay, in the warm-up, are they able to stabilize and we having no issues? If they're not, like if I, if I have somebody that's getting ready to squat and they can't perform a single leg RDL that day, hey, I know I need to spend more time on having like bracing or setting positions where they have access to this range of motion and stability to be able to perform this exercise. And so in that the continual assessment of how they're moving and what is the stimulus of adaptation that we're going to continue to drive. Um, traditionally we look at load time and distance. And so whichever one we're going to continue to challenge that's where we need to focus on the ability to continue to stabilize. So if we're driving load in a squat, is that person compensating? And are they compensating to a greater degree that it's getting worse, that it's putting them in poor positions, that they're not able to recover from this? In a situation where we've drove load that far and never addressed the compensation, that's where we probably need to look at like stepping back and try to reestablish stability in the appropriate positions. Um, so that could be one. Um, it could be, um, are they able to uh, be proficient in the movement? So are they able to hold this position? Um, are they able to, um, are they able to do this for five reps? Because we can look at, we can look at like stay in the progression of stability. We can look through those smaller jumps and we can also look through the 
like the small progressions that we've already made. So if, if somebody can go and do a unilateral movement that at one point they were only able to do three and now they can do eight proficiently, Hey, we probably have progressed enough that we can look to something more challenging. And off that same note, like this person probably doesn't need, like we don't have to get this person up to being able to do this 20 reps for us to progress them to an exercise. Because at that point, whenever we're starting to drive volume now, it's looking at creating more external stability of like machines or more bases of support to drive those long volumes because stability can be pretty fatiguing that we're not just trying to trash your stability. We're trying to look at getting minimum effective dose of what do we need to perform these exercises that are in the workout. Hopefully that I know that's kind of like a roundabout way to answer it. So in an exercise, like, I don't know, like at the hip, like in terms of like, stability hierarchy it's like you know it seems like hip airplane kind of sits atop that um where where do you go from there do you just keep training that position do you have enough stability now that your hips are on on it's impossible to make them unstable if you can do that or what do you what are we doing then um once you get to that that position Yeah. So a big thing with the hip airplane is first off, like finding, finding if the person knows where a neutral pelvis is. A lot of people kind of, if you're able to see this, um, I'm using my hand as like the pelvis and the hips, but most people start externally rotated with kind of that hip up to the ceiling in not necessarily understanding where a neutral pelvis is. And if we don't understand where neutral is, it's real hard to go into internal rotation and you're limiting your access or the plane that you work through of external rotation. And so in that exercise, it is very challenging and very difficult. And it, a lot of times will highlight the point that I was making of people don't like to spend time in going through, like they like to do um, the hip airplane real quick, say, okay, I'm done. So looking at, can we create, (coughs) apologies, uh, if we can create more time, slow and controlled going into external rotation, hold that position and going back into internal rotation, slow and controlled, holding that position, not letting our center of mass or our body deviate, um, challenging that. And once, once we've gotten to that point really, really well, we don't necessarily need to get to the point where okay, we're doing this for 30 seconds now, or we need to like throw on 50 pounds of a med ball to be able to do it. It's what is enough that we need. And so with that, once we get to that point that we become very proficient in a warmup, we're just checking in. And so like oftentimes now I've kind of advanced it to a gate cycle continuum, but prescript talks about like, gate cycle movements, like a sprinter pose, a single leg RDL, a hip airplane, a forward lunge. So I'll do those in a combined sequence for my leg days as a check-in. So as I go through that, if I can proficiently move through a couple steps on each side, 
through that combination, hey, I'm pretty good to go. If if I go into the RDL or hip airplane and I'm falling all over the place, okay, now I need to take a step back and I need to spend more time reestablishing the mobility and stability in these positions in preparation of the workout. Because um, if we're looking at the in a warm up sense, we just we need to warm up enough that we're proficient at the workout that we've been able to establish proficiency in ranges of motion in, um, in transferable movement and cues for the workouts that we're, or for the exercise that we're going to experience in the workout. I don't need to continue to progress my warm up if it's good enough. All we need to do at that point is start checking in on it. Um, cause, cause sometimes that's where, that's where we'll see of people trying to continually progress or not be as intentionally based to get at the root cause of what they need for the warm up, where we can start seeing like things pile on in the warm up, And what that does, not only is that now potentially introducing fatigue or pre-exhaustion before we start working out, but it also puts us in the gym longer, not doing our workout. And for a lot of people going to the gym, time is a huge consideration. They don't have large open blocks that they can spend in there. Um, you know, it's most of the time it has to be very scheduled. It has to be very proficient. So for coaches and trainers looking at once we've established our base and our foundation, just making sure that we're maintaining that by checking in and then assessing the workout that, yeah, they're still moving proficient. They're still um, staying out of pain. They're still being able to like produce force, being able to hold positions. That's where kind of the coaching and assessment piece comes and the ability to transfer the intention of the warm up into the workout. Hmm. Now, when you have somebody who, um, let's say like they attempted a single leg deadlift and, um, let's say it's kind of all over the place. It just doesn't seem like something that they're going to be able to stabilize today. Yeah. Does this mean that they shouldn't back squat? Um, so as far as like, if they're doing a single leg RDL, um, in the warm up, mm -hmm. not necessarily that they shouldn't, we just need to, it depends on, I'd consider like training age their what their prior experience is going to be. Cause if it's somebody that is brand new to squatting, um, I might not have them squat that day. I might look at like, maybe we need to stay unilateral. If it's somebody that, that it has a very high advanced training level, I'd look at, okay, if they can't perform this, let me see if I can add a base of support. Let me add a Dow and see, can we get into these positions? Because if I start adding bases of support, if I start changing the center of mass and they're still unable to perform it, there might be bigger issues. Because Have you ever seen that happen? Uh, typically, typically, no. Like in, Unless it is something more serious like a either they're just neurologically fried and they need more time to recover um maybe if 
you know, if they, the recoverability, I think will play a big factor of it. If let's say, you know, you have a client that went out last night and now they're coming in on little sleep, very dehydrated, um, very taxed, probably not. Cause they're hungover. Yeah. Probably, okay. probably not fueled for the workout. Like that might be an instance where we need to, we need to modify this because it's not going to be a, it's not going to be beneficial more than likely. Um, but we can also consider that if somebody's back squatting, I think a bigger consideration is why are we having them? Because with a, like with a back squat, if we put context to it, that it has the greatest ability to drive load because we can stack weight on the bar, um, the most of anything in our gym setting, are we driving towards that intention or do we have something else where another means allows us to get the same result? And I'm looking at like, Hey, maybe, maybe it's not back squat today. Maybe it's a heavy goblet and, um, unilateral movements. That's like a split stance or something like that, that we're trying to drive, or maybe, um, looking at like some contralateral load through, um, single leg positions, something like that. If we're trying to create some, some more, um, more time looking at like internal rotation, De depending on what the circumstance is and in the individual, I haven't seen it in a situation where somebody that is well-trained enough to be back squatting that if we can't add some type of intervention, um, that, they're not able to go into a like squat. Okay. So if somebody, um, so if somebody like, I know that through prescript, there's like, you know, if somebody's split squatting, we might have them at a goblet squat. If somebody's doing a single leg deadlift, we might have them at like a high bar. If they're doing a low bar, we might have them do hip airplane, um, something to that effect. So just because somebody can't do one of those things doesn't mean they might not get matched to that position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and more often than not, if they can't do that, they probably need that position because the reason that they can't do that there, it should be clear and raise a red flag that something is lacking. So it's looking to what can we address that and how can we, how can we address that by creating the position through a better means of just hitting this thing with a hammer, like maybe it needs a wrench, maybe it needs some other tool that we need to look at it differently and how we're approaching it and how we're, how we're addressing this. Um, like we can look to, let's say somebody doesn't have the, an adequate range of motion for a deadlift from the floor. Like they, they're tight in their hips, um, through warming up, we were trying to we're trying to improve this and they're just not getting there. They're not ready for it. We might look at a modification of a RDL. So now we're still working through similar positions, but we're acknowledging the, the deficit that they have of that position from the floor into a more proficient position. And now we're just modifying it so we can drive load through where they're good and then through our accessory exercise, we're looking at trying to trying to create a lower barrier for them to enter that position. So we can look at 
Uh, we can look at like a, again, a split stance, being able to lower into like a contralateral load. Um, or if, um, yeah, let's, let's go off of that one. Cause it's easier, but a, uh, so a split stance where I'm holding the hand that is holding the weight is inside my leg, not outside my leg in that split stance on the front leg. And so now I'm going through and I can get into those deep hip flex positions, but it's not the same load. So I'm starting to build, starting to build some range of motion, some rigidity in this deeper hip flex position, but it's not through a deadlift where because of the leverages, the load is greatest from the floor into where my hips raise that now I'm able to bring my torso angle up. And so we're just looking at how we can, how we can create exposure to that position without, without the like high bearer that a deadlift might require, but we're also not completely stepping away from the movement because if our goal is a deadlift, we want to get back to that position and build it up. We don't want to lose everything that we've tried to be trying to be building up so we can still drive a manageable load through a barbell RDL while trying to bring up the deficit of our ability to get into a deeper hip flex position or being able to like brace and hold into a position from the ground to like a more RDL position. And then as we progress, we start trying to integrate those of lowering the position. So now we can get back to deadlifting. Okay. Um, so if like, are we using are we using in some way like the the positions of strength to help improve mobility in some way? Because um, it it kind of sounds like that, but um, it does sound like mobility is like the requisite into what we get access to in terms of positions, and then we seek to stabilize and strengthen those positions. But in this way, it kind of seems like you're kind of like on the opposite end. Like, oh, we might be trying to like load eccentrically to maybe help improve that position or our proprioception of that position. And then maybe that some way helps mobility. What, what are, what's, what's kind of the way that we're going about attacking this? Um, if it was like a, a mobility issue. Yeah. So, um, it would kind of be twofold that if it's a mobility issue, um, we don't want to just drive um, load necessarily, but it can be a tool to um, to try to reestablish the things that we've created before. So it's looking at, do we need to mobilize first? And this is back to kind of the warm-up side of it. What are things we can do to mobilize in a position that we want? So we might look at if we have like tight hips, maybe we're going through and doing a couch stretch. Um, maybe, maybe we're looking at, um, if ankle mobility is an issue or for some people, maybe they're, um, like their hamstrings are tight. Uh, so we have to foam roll. So it's looking at what is the intervention initially that we can create more range of motion? Cause whenever we think about 
that the signal that we're getting from our brain, whenever muscles get tight, and that's going to restrict our range of motion, it's going to restrict our mobility. It's a perception of a signal that is getting sent of we're not stable in this. There is a greater potential for injury. There's a higher risk here. So we're going to tighten up the areas around this to provide stability. So if it is a mobility issue, taking that into consideration of this is, this might be a mechanism of restricting movement because there is a perception of potential injury. So now we're going through and trying to mobilize it's send, now sending a signal that, Hey, we're, we're okay. We're okay in these positions. Let's try to reestablish more range of motion. So we we can start having some of the like, quote unquote, tightness of the muscles that not be as restrictive in our ability to move. And now we're getting more range of motion. And so through that, through the newly established or uh, greater allowed range of motion that we've developed through our mobility intervention, that's where we're looking to stabilize and potentially load. So we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily somebody that we're trying to get to parallel that now we're loading them through like an ass to grass squat. Um, it's looking at, Hey, what is the range of motion from whenever they walked in and they weren't able to get into certain positions, the range of motion that now they can execute in that we've been able to establish through our mobility and stability interventions that we can load. And so it's looking at like what that difference is and what, what that potential that we've created. And now we can start exercising in that established range of motion. It's not trying to, not necessarily trying to get to a range of motion through load outside of what they can handle, but looking at how we can stabilize, how we, how we can produce force in this range of motion that we've been able to mobilize in now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you're not necessarily trying to force feed somebody into a deeper position by doing this like RDL instead of um, the deadlift off the ground. It's finding the requisite, like it's, it's finding the required range based on where we've established that they can move through and then finding a position that matches that. Exactly. Yeah. And and like through the like deadlift RDL example, if let's say from, from a like not deep hinge, but through a hinged position up, that person's good. They're stable. They have the, like, they have no issues working into that. That's where we can continue to drive the load or stimulus that we had. And then that bottom part, like, let's say, they're good 75% through the deadlift. We're just trying to reestablish the ability to have that strength profile match from 75 to 25. And so we're trying to create a greater percentage on the net positive than where it is currently in the negative. So it's going from, if they're at 75 and from the floor up is the 25, Hey, can we get to 80 and 20? And that's where we start finding progression. That's where like, we're starting to ease into a greater range of motion through the load that we're using with, um, with the RDL. So we can continue to drive that. We're not touching that 
20% yet, but that's where we look at in our accessory movements and in our warmups where we can start creating more percentage or driving greater into the percentage of like that negative 20 deficit to start just getting percents back up to the full range of motion so we can get back to deadlifting. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we, we, we talked about a lot. There was one more thing I, I kind of wanted to go back to. Yeah. Um, this is just the way my, my brain works. But um, when, we, when you mentioned undulating force dynamic and then you kind of moved into, um, it's done like we talk about acceleration and deceleration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I looked at some of the positions that you're talking about, like the kettlebell swing and um, the SS pendulum and the mace and these are um in a lot of ways it's like the body is kind of staying in one spot but the weight is moving Mm -hmm. and then automatically i go and think like could could it be done with the opposite where the load is kind of staying in one place and we're kind of moving um would that have a similar effect or um would this not would this not be the same at all um it it depends how it's implemented, but we can look at, like we can look at um, like with uh, cables. So in a cable machine, the, the weight stack stays in place and our body orientates around it, similar to like a, um, like a landmine. So it is a set position and we're trying to orientate our body around it. So I think that like if we're looking at it in the context of stabilizing the weight in the stack and organizing our body and position around it, that's commonly what we're going to see in, in the gym. Um, and then through that undulation, I think that's kind of where, um, like for an example, the cable stack would be kind of an example of that because the cams that it has on it, it's not the same force distribution all the way through um, because that's more like a single pulley where we just have like the rope over a pulley and the load at the the end is kind of going to stay constant. Whereas with a cable stack, because of the cams at the top, it's creating a difference in load in certain, certain positions of an exercise. Um, so if we're looking at like a like cable high or just let's just say like a, a typical like bicep cable bicep girl. So at the bottom of it and at the top of it, the cams take weight off of it. So it's not direct on those areas where the muscle is not as strong in a fully lengthened or a shortened position, but instead it, places the majority of the load through that mid range. So if we're thinking off of it, it'd be like thinking about a preacher curl where we kind of have a flex shoulder position and our arms not going behind us. So we're not creating a longer lever, but we're strong in the preacher curl. So the, the cams of a weight stack are kind of doing something similar where at the top and bottom of position, they have a little ease into it and you don't feel the full stack until it gets to that mid range where you're the strongest. Um, so I'd say it's 
around the gym, we can see some examples of that where now we're trying to, we have more freedom of our body moving, um, and being dynamic than in like an undulating force where the implement is moving and we have to be stabilized. Okay. Yeah, dude. Um, this is awesome. Um, this, uh, this today, um, I feel like definitely like allowed us to dive into, um, most specifically stability and why we might want to, um, incorporate, um, you know, different, different modalities and different positions and, um, the benefits of them. Um, is there anything that you feel you'd want people to walk away from all of this after listening to this? Um, like any key takeaways? Yeah. So I think off of the conversation that we had, uh, something that's very important is, um, progression doesn't have to be through, isolation of now I have to go from like this exercise to this exercise that there's transferability in positions and just understanding how we transfer that or how we progress or regress an exercise. I think, again, one of the the big things I like to look at through progression and regression, like to teach is based on stability, just those two deviation of center of mass. And that's either that's creating a longer lever or a shorter lever. So it's like, if I think of, if I have a weight to my chest, that's going to be easier because I'm loading my center of mass. Whereas if I push a weight out, that's now creating a longer lever and I'm deviating the center of mass away from me. Um, or looking at base of support. If I'm doing an exercise and I'm not stable in that position, how can I create more contact points that could be anything from if I'm doing a split stance to I'm not stable in that holding on to a rack. Now I've created more basis support that progression and regression doesn't have to be overcomplicated. It's definitely something that needs to be considered and we need to be intentional about, but just having those two tenets and kind of understanding that I think that allows for a lot more flexibility in how people approach their exercises. And instead of, you know, just having to like grit through unstable things that somebody like it might be too advanced for somebody to do. Let's look at, let's look at moving to a means where they can, they can complete that exercise more efficiently than just either not having a solution or continue to drive in poor positions. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like instead of going from like one to two, in some ways, it's kind of like going from one A to one B to one C to one D. Um, in some combination, it might be like one A plus one C, which is like we've we've adjusted the where we we're placing the load, how close it is to us. We're adjusting our stance width. We're adjusting how much we're putting or leaning onto something else in combination with those things. Um, based on positions that we're finding that we're wanting to strengthen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, think you described it perfectly of understanding that like it's it's not just this one thing. It's a com combination of how we execute and through that approach of like the one A, one B, one C instead of just A B C. Perfect. Dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, you coming on and, and spending the time. You know. 
um, in my mind, you know, uh, stability king. So um, <laughs> you can choose whether or not you want to hold on to that. But um, yeah, thank you again so much. Um, I am going to put um, some links to um, like your Instagram and uh, some of the other links that I saw in your link tree. Um, was there anywhere specific if somebody wanted to learn more from you that you suggest um, they go? Um, honestly, the easiest place is probably through Instagram. It'll be in the show notes. Um, it's at there, T H A Y E R twenty five thirteen. Um, and just message me like whether, whether you're a fitness enthusiast, whether you're a coach trainer, um, like that's the easiest place to reach me and definitely always willing to have a conversation and, um, try to help where I can. Um, I'll also say, I really appreciate you inviting me on. Um, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, and I think just any opportunity that we have for coaches to be able to talk, be able to get more information out. I think that benefits everyone whenever we have wide sourced education, conversations, communication, because you never know who's going to pick it up and listen and who that might connect with. And, rising tides raises all ships. So whenever we have more information, whenever we're having better conversations and can get coaches to ask better questions, I think it benefits all of us in the fitness industry. Dude, that's, that's so profound. Well, thank you so much uh, for that. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was uh, my pleasure getting to come on here and we'll definitely have to do this again. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time today. If you liked it, please like it. If you have the time and you enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating. And, you know, if you found some sound bites that you found useful, you know, share them to your Instagram, tag us. I'm going to put all that information in the show notes. And uh, hope to see you on the next one.